Let us all turn together to the Word of God this evening. It's the book of Acts in the New Testament. The history of God's work among his people. Times of blessing, times of challenge, the ups and downs of life. But above all, the blessing of revival. Great revival times are described in the book of Acts. And for every believer exploring the subject of revival, I suppose I would still have to say, pressing the point home, there's no book like the book of Acts to study the operation of the Holy Spirit using and blessing his word. Chapter 20 tonight. Chapter 20 in the book of Acts. Our reading will cover an experience in the life of the Apostle Paul. I won't say preach too long, but some people might have said he did that very hour. Preached away on and on. He had no doubt great subjects. And then an incident took place. And every Bible reader can certainly identify with this chapter. There are other times when I couldn't help it, fell asleep. The weakness of the flesh is there, and farmers especially have it really hard because up early in the morning, day by day, out in all weathers, the open air just is invigorating. But once you come into the heat, you're most likely quickly gone. And what can be done? Let's read about it then. Acts chapter 20 and verse 1. An uproar is mentioned. A great upheaval. A near riot occurs in Ephesus. But uh, that's in chapter 19. We begin then verse 1 of chapter 20. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia. We were thinking about the name of Gilgal this morning, and I said God's interested in names. He's interested in the names of those who are to the fore in serving him. Do you see that? There is here in verse 4, companions of the apostle, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, uh, some few miles away from uh, Berea, Thessalonica, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, that's the time of the Passover, round about the month of March there, and came unto them to Troas in five days, 
where we abode seven days. It's like keeping a diary. This is a precious diary, a very, very precious diary of being busy in God's work and showing an enterprising spirit pressing ahead with God. And doubtless these men would have seen souls come to the cross. Now verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man. Don't expect young fellows to fall asleep, but they can as well as those who are older. A young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. He was well gone, you see, a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, the sermon still went on, you see. He talked a long while, even till the break of day. Have you ever prayed for revival, longed for revival? This might be a sample portion to think about. Right on to the break of day, companionship with God, fellowshipping with the Most High. Imagine that in our circle of friends, in the fellowship, we gradually learn about more and more to think so taken up with the Lord, can't go away, just talking on about the Lord and the things of God right till the break of day. I'm persuaded to say tonight, although the Lord knows better than any of us, uh, maybe the Lord could take us that far in experience with God that we might pray on, as it were, or read on, or preach on, or wait on, or linger on, until as the sun comes up. That's when Jacob was blessed. The sun was coming up. God God's presence was there. And it's, it's tremendous. And they had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day. So he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. What a portion. What a blessed thought we have had lingering here in the presence of God. The Lord used his word tonight, the reading of it, and the preaching of it too. Amen.
Acts chapter 20, if you could open your Bibles there at that chapter again, Acts 20, and our text is in verse number 9 primarily. It speaks of a young man by the name of Eutychus, and it says, And there sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep, and fell down from the third loft, and was taken up dead. Let's pray together with God's Word open and really invite the Lord to speak into our hearts tonight. Let's pray. <clears throat> Eternal God and everlasting Father, we pray tonight that Thou will cause Thy Word to really live within our hearts. We thank Thee that this book is a living book. It's forever settled in heaven. It's inspired by the Spirit of God Himself. But Lord, we pray for these hearts of ours, that Lord God, I will plant Thy Word deep within our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name that Thou will cause the seed of God's Word to take root. And in the days, months, and years, in the will of God that lie ahead, may Thy Word bring forth fruit unto everlasting life and fruit unto our God. We pray for the help of heaven for the infilling of the Spirit of God. Pray that you'll open every heart, Lord, and open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Lord, cause our ears to hear what the Spirit of God would have to say to us. May each and every one be drawn to the Savior's feet. Lord, we pray that the love of God would lift us, and especially lift those who do not know thee. Bring them, O God, to the cross. And Lord, we pray that a great work might be done for thy glory. We pray, O God, with expectant hearts, with thanksgiving, acknowledging our absolute dependency upon thee. Hear and answer prayer. We ask it for thy glory, giving thanks in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. If we're honest tonight, staying awake in church can often be something of a challenge especially if it's warm and stuffy and maybe the windows are closed and there's not a lot of oxygen and there's not a lot of fresh air. And if the preacher is long-winded, it can be very difficult and challenging to stay awake and to listen carefully to the Word of God, especially if you've got a ham and egger like me standing behind the pulpit trying to preach. I can understand that if you've had a busy week and a busy day, and your life is busy, that it's difficult to stay awake whenever the minister is preaching. I have to confess that sometimes I almost fall asleep whenever I am preaching. So I can understand what it's like for you to sit there and to listen and to try to stay awake. It's a challenge, I know, but let's try our best. Here in Acts chapter 20, we are reading about a young man called Eutychus. Dr. Douglas pointed out, yes, that he was a young man. He wasn't well stricken in years, but he was still young, still had youth on his side, but found it difficult to stay awake as the apostle Paul was preaching. It indicates there in verse number eight that they were gathered together in an upper chamber and there were many lights in that upper room. And perhaps that contributed to this young man falling asleep whenever Paul was preaching. Many lights, oil lamps in that upper room, generating heat. And the place was filled with individuals. 
And each human body emits a certain amount of heat as well. I just read this afternoon that one human body in the space of one hour can generate and emit the same level of heat as a traditional 100 watt light bulb. And so in this particular generation and in this particular time, in this particular setting, there was a lot of heat in that upper room. And the Apostle Paul, it says, was long preaching. He was preaching a long sermon. He continued his speech until midnight, and so it was late. And we're not sure what this young man had been doing throughout the day, but we know that it was a long day. The day was far spent. It was warm. They had been gathered together for a number of hours in that upper chamber. There wasn't much fresh air, perhaps. They were getting physically tired, and this young man conked out and fell from a third-story window. And the Bible says in verse number 9, right at the end of the verse, that he was taken up dead. And so it's a very practical portion of Scripture. And we can probably understand something of this young man's difficulties. And maybe others like him are finding it difficult maybe to give their attention to the preaching of God's Word as well. And so while there are practical details here, there are also many spiritual implications and spiritual applications as well. Many who attend church services Lord's Day by Lord's Day, brought up in the church under the sound of God's Word week after week, can be a lot like Eutychus and can be spiritually unconscious. Sitting perhaps at the window as Eutychus was, with an eye to the world, rather than having a heart taken up with the Word of God. How many of us, whenever we come to Christian services and gospel meetings, find our minds drifting outside the walls of the church, away to the world and the things that take us up on a daily basis? I believe that's where Eutychus was, sitting at the window, yes, under the sound of God's Word, but perhaps looking out that window with a, an eye to the world, his affections to the world. And then the heat got the better of him. And he began to fall asleep and he began to sink. And ultimately, he fell. I'm sure the Apostle Paul, as he was preaching, as many preachers do, saw many things happening that night. And I'm sure he was able to see Eutychus, this poor young man. And as Paul was preaching and waxing eloquent and others were hanging in every word, Maybe he saw Eutychus and that was a distraction. And he could say within his heart, now there is a young man that's struggling. There is a young man that's in trouble. There is a young man that's sitting in a very narrow and precarious place. And if he's not careful, he's in great danger. Not only physically, but also spiritually. People can so easily fall asleep in church. I remember especially a man in South Australia that attended the meetings there in Locke and sometimes in Port Lincoln as well. And he was a big man. He was a farmer by profession. And he was a very jovial man, but he had an awful problem of falling asleep. He had a huge Thompson Chain reference Bible. I think it was a large print, wide margin edition. It was a huge, enormous Bible. And it seemed that as soon as he opened the Bible, he fell asleep. You would have almost have thought that some type of sleeping gas came out of his Bible as soon as he opened it. 
Because as soon as his Bible was opened and his head fell down, this dear man fell asleep. And sometimes he would drop the Bible on the floor and it made a large clatter. And it not only awoke him, but maybe awoke others that were sleeping in the meeting as well. It's a big problem falling asleep in church. But let's try to give our attention to the Word of God as we look for a few moments tonight at the story of Eutychus. And we're going to look at Eutychus in three distinct acts. We're looking at this story in three distinct acts. Act number one, the first part of verse nine. Look at what it says in your Bible. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus. And whenever you go to verse seven, just before that, we get the whole context of Eutychus coming into this meeting and sitting in that window. It says, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to, to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there we see a window opened on a normal New Testament church service on the first day of the week. And the preaching of the Word of God was central. We see here the simplicity of a New Testament church service. On this occasion, they were also breaking bread uh, as the Word of God was preached as well. And so it's a simple, normal, New Testament church service. No frills, people gathered together. A man standing up with the book of God, the Word of God in his hand, and preaching the Word of God to a group of people. And they're breaking bread as well. And it's a simple, normal run-of-the-mill New Testament service, and undoubtedly the Apostle Paul was enjoying the infilling of the Spirit of God, and Eutychus was right there sitting up in the third story, the third loft, listening initially to the Word of God, and then he begins slowly to become heavy in his eyes and fall asleep. And we might look at Act 1 of the story of Eutychus, and the first thing that we notice is that Eutychus was in the place of privilege. He was in the place of spiritual privilege because he was among the people of God. And that's a good place to be. I believe it's a safe place to be whenever you're amongst the people of God. I don't believe there's anybody here in this meeting tonight that would go out of their way to harm you or trick you or deceive you or pull the wool over your eyes. You're maybe not yet a believer, and yet tonight you're amongst Christian people, and there are people tonight in this meeting that love you, and pray for you, and desire the best for you, not only as far as time is concerned, but as far as eternity is concerned as well. Eutychus was in a privileged place because he was among the people of God. And I believe tonight that our world, our society, would be in a much better position if every individual like Eutychus had a place to go to be amongst God's people. I believe that every individual should have a church. I believe that every family should have a commitment and a connection with a Bible-believing church. I believe that every Christian home should have the Word of God central in their home, and the church of God, the house of God, should be a central feature 
in every Christian home and in every Christian family. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. But I love being among the people of God. Ever since I started to walk with God in my teens, I loved being amongst the people of God. And it's such a privilege to be able to come on a Lord's Day, on the evening of the Lord's Day, the first day of the week as it was here in Acts chapter 20, and be among the people of God. It's a wonderful privilege to be among the people of God. But a greater privilege still, not only was Eutychus among the people of God, but Eutychus was under the preaching of the Word. The Word of God was being opened, and the Apostle Paul was preaching. Verse 7 simply says, Paul preached unto them. Verse 9 says, Paul was long in preaching. Paul was a preacher. John the Baptist was a preacher. God had only one begotten Son, and He sent Him into the world not only to be a Savior and a sacrifice for our sins, but He also sent the Son to be a preacher. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the Word. He speaks about the preaching of the cross being the power of God unto salvation. Paul says, I determine not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we see here in Acts chapter 20, the centrality of the preaching of the Word of God. The greater part of the time in Acts chapter 20 in this meeting was devoted and given over to the preaching of the gospel. That's how New Testament churches were established. That's how New Testament churches were built. That's how New Testament churches grew. That's how people were converted. That's how believers grew in grace. That's how the kingdom of God was extended. That's how Jesus Christ was exalted. All through the preaching of the Word of God. And we are living in a day whenever the preaching of the gospel has been put to one side. And the centrality of the Word has been put to another side. And all sorts of things have been put in place of the preaching of God's Word. It used to be if you went to a high Episcopal church, the place where the Word of God was read, the lectern from which the Word of God was opened and the Word of God was read was over at one side. And the real big feature was the communion font perhaps at the front, the communion table or the altar or the baptismal font. And now I suppose you've gone to another extreme whenever it's the praise band or the drama team or some other thing or some person getting up and giving a word of prophecy or speaking in tongues or telling a story. But the reason that we have a pulpit in the center of our church and it's lifted up is not to exalt the man, but to exalt the message. Not to exalt the pastor, but to exalt the person and work of Jesus Christ. And here's Eutychus, and he's among God's people, and he's under the preaching of the Word. And we can certainly say that Eutychus was under a biblical preaching ministry. Because the Apostle Paul, and we've said a lot already, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, said that he determined not to know anything among the people, save Jesus Christ 
and Him crucified. The person and work of Christ was the central message of the preaching of the Apostle Paul. He purposed in his heart before he even got to the city of Corinth that I'm not going to be diverted. I'm not going to be sidetracked. I'm not going to be drawn aside into debates and strifes about words that don't matter. I'm not there to give my opinion. I'm not there to preach morality, human morality, or politics, or denominationalism. I'm not there to preach about myself. I'm there to preach about Christ and about His cross, because Paul recognized that as the only answer to the human condition, and that is the only answer to a fallen world. And there's nothing that glorifies God as much as preaching Jesus Christ, the shedding of His blood, the victory of His cross, and His great work of atonement. Paul was a biblical preacher, and Eutychus was sitting under biblical preaching. We could also say that Eutychus was sitting under the best of preaching, because he was sitting under the preaching of the apostle Paul himself. Other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I don't believe there's been a greater evangelist. I don't believe there's been a greater theologian. I don't believe there's been a greater missionary. I don't believe there's been a greater church planter. I don't believe there's been a greater pastor, a Bible teacher than the Apostle Paul himself. And Eutychus was sitting among the people of God, sitting under the preaching of the gospel. It was biblical preaching. It was the best of preaching. And yet Eutychus did not respond positively. Rather, Eutychus fell asleep. Now, I certainly don't claim tonight to be anywhere remotely close to the, to the Apostle Paul. You know, you could have a thousand better preachers in this pulpit tonight, but I think there's one thing I can say. Why you can have many better preachers, I don't believe you can have a better gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But I wonder as you sit and listen, amongst God's people, under God's Word, are you like Eutychus and you're in a place, yes, of privilege? But if you're not responding positively, I could also say Eutychus was not only in a place of privilege, but he was in a place of peril. He was in a good place. But at the same time, he was in a dangerous place. You'll notice that Eutychus was in a place of peril. Why? Because he was in a place of elevation. It says there that he was on the third loft. The third story, he was high. He was lifted up. He was not content to sit on the ground or sit on the floor, but he had gone into a high position. And I don't think there's anything wrong with where you choose to sit in God's house. But the danger was that Eutychus was in a place of elevation. And should he fall from that place, he was going to be certainly in great danger. Now, the Bible says that there's a very big danger in being lifted up with pride. Lucifer, in Isaiah chapter 14, says, I will ascend into the heights of the clouds. I will ascend above the throne of God. I will be like the Most High. And he became very proud and elevated and lifted up. And the Bible warns us about the danger of pride. 
Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Scripture says that Uzziah, while he initially walked with God, even as a believer, the Scripture says in 2 Chronicles 26, 16, that his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Pride is a very dangerous thing. Pride is a very deceitful thing. Pride is a very divisive thing. Pride is a very destructive thing. What is pride? Pride is an inordinate sense of self-esteem. Pride is to have a wrong and an elevated view of oneself. Pride is to spell man with a capital M and God with a small g. The middle letter in the word pride is the letter I. The middle letter in the word Lucifer is the letter I. The middle letter in the word sin is the letter I. And pride is to be consumed with self-importance. And it's a very, very dangerous thing. Some of you might have read some of Aesop's fables. I'm not sure if it was Aesop or somebody else, but there's a story told of two ducks and a little frog that shared a pond together. And the drought came, and the pond began to dry up. And the poor little frog was worried about how he was going to survive. And the two ducks says, we have heard about a, a beautiful lake a few miles from here. We're going to fly to the lake. Why don't we get a stick and we'll put it together between our beaks and you can hold on to the stick with your mouth and we'll carry you across to this beautiful lake and you'll be able to live there and enjoy the fresh waters. And the frog thought this is a great idea and so he held on to the stick and the two ducks carried the stick in their beaks and they flew up into the sky and the farmer was standing in the field and he looked up and he said out loud to his farmhand, he says, isn't that amazing? I wonder who had such a brilliant idea. And the little frog, so puffed up with pride, says, I did. And of course, he let go of the stick and that was the end of the frog. And sometimes we like to get recognition, don't we? Sometimes we like to elevate ourselves. Sometimes we like to get recognized. Sometimes we get annoyed and we get offended if we don't get noticed. And pride is a very dangerous thing. Eutychus was in a privileged place. Eutychus was also in a perilous place because he was elevated. Not only was he elevated, but he was also exposed. It says in verse 9 that he sat there in a window, sitting beside the window. And it seems evident that there was no pane of glass in the window. It was an open window. And Eutychus was sitting there in that narrow little windowsill and he was exposed to the world outside the walls where the meeting was being held. His eye was towards the world. He could look out the window when there were so many distractions. I can remember being in P7 in primary school. And we had an old-fashioned headmaster. I think I've mentioned him before. He was well past retirement age in 1988 whenever I sat in this class. He looked to be about 90 years of age in my mind, but he's probably closer to 70. I reckon he'd been teaching since round about the time of the Second World War, and he was an old school, half moon glasses, a big comb over in his head, you know, a comb over. And if I think if it unraveled, it would have gone down to the, probably his elbow. And uh, he was a very, very stern man, and 
Once or twice a week, there was a program on Radio Ulster for school children to sing along to all of these songs, and I tell you, I hated it. One day he put it on, and we were all supposed to be singing, and the snow came on outside, and I was captivated by the snow, thinking about snowball fights with my friends and building snowmen. Sat and looked out the window, and of course, then he shouts out, Higginson, you look out that window one more time, you're going to go out and stand outside in that snow. And I don't know what came over me, but I looked at him, and then I looked out the window purposely, and I looked back at him just to see if he was serious. And he screamed and he shouted, get out of my class and go outside and stand. And his voice cracked and all. He was furious. And I sat on and I sat on and he came down to the chair that I was sitting in and he took me by the collar and he pulled me out of my chair. I landed my nose and mouth on the floor. I was trying to get up and I, I don't know what he hit me with in the back, but eventually I had to go downstairs and not stand outside in the cold, but stand outside the office while he would go and ring my mother and get her to come and collect me from school and I didn't know what was going to happen. I tell you, I was terrified. Just looking out the window. A very perilous place in primary school back in those days. But maybe you're like that in this meeting. And you're under the sound of God's word. You're amongst God's people. But your eyes and your affection and your heart is a million miles away. Thinking about yesterday. Thinking about tomorrow. Thinking about that big world out there and all that it has to offer. And here you are stuck on a Sunday night in a church service listening to a boring, long-winded preacher and you would just love to be out there in that world enjoying the things of the world like the prodigal son. Far country was in his heart. Or like Lot's wife as she looked back to Sodom. Or like Demas whenever he forsook the apostle Paul having loved this present world. Or like Onesimus, whenever he left Philemon and went for the big city of Rome, far away fields are green, and maybe tonight the world is in your heart. And you're distracted, and you're exposed to this world. And we are so easily, aren't we? In this digital generation, we are so easily exposed to the world used to be that Christians debated whether or not it was a wise thing to have a, a television in your house. And then whenever many succumb to that, is it a wise thing to have a television for a young person in your bedroom? And then is it wise to have satellite television that just exposes us to so much more? But now with our mobile phones, we've got the whole world, more than four channels, everything in the world that you can think of at our fingertips, in our pockets. And we can't seem to get away from screens and we are exposed. And young people, young men, young women, are exposed to so much of what this world professes to offer. The Bible says we're not to love this world, neither the things that are in this world. And Eutychus was in a narrow place, sitting there in a windowsill. Act 1 in the place of privilege, in the place of peril. Act 2, look at verse number 9, the second part of the verse. And being fallen into a deep sleep, as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. You can just see the whole process unfolding. And I'm sure the apostle Paul could as well. Yours, Eutychus. He's looking out the window. His eyes are getting heavy. The young man's getting tired. The building's getting warmer and warmer. Those oil lamps are still burning. People are getting sleepy, perhaps. The oxygen's being used up. 
and Eutychus begins to fall asleep, and suddenly he falls. And it's not all that difficult to see the process involved. And you know, it's not often all that difficult whenever you see somebody getting away from God and getting into the world and falling down and sinking in sin, as the hymn writer said. Sometimes you can see the process so clearly. Stop reading their Bibles. Stop sitting at the Lord's table. Stop attending the prayer meetings. Stop fellowshipping with God's people. Start flirting with the world and looking at the world and being entertained by the world and drawn by the world. Falling asleep spiritually, no longer spiritually tuned in or spiritually conscious. And all these things are happening in Eutychus. You'll notice that in Act 2, Eutychus is in the place of carelessness. Is there somebody here and you've grown spiritually careless? It says that he was fallen into a, a deep sleep. Paul was long preaching and Eutychus began to fall asleep. Duncan Campbell, in his reports of the great revival, the great awakening in the Isle of Lewis, said in the midst of revival, the clock is not considered. And these are revival days in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. People weren't in a rush. God's people weren't in a rush to get away. They wanted to stay on and listen to the preaching and meet together for prayer and tarry all night in prayer and give themselves to prayer. But for someone like Eutychus, Eutychus found it boring. And you see there this place of carelessness that he slept. He just simply slept. Paul was long preaching. I sometimes wonder if the Apostle Paul was in Northern Ireland. Would we have him in some of our churches to come and preach? Would somebody say, well, Paul, he can be very long-winded. Somebody else might say, well, his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. He's got a prison record, you know. He's so divisive. He's too theological. He's too hard-hitting. But nevertheless, Paul was there. Now, you might not be sleeping physically in the meeting, but maybe you're sleeping spiritually. Now, there's some very obvious and yet very interesting things about sleep. Isn't it true to say that you never really know that you're sleeping until you wake up? You never know that you're sleeping until you wake up. You ever sit there and somebody's talking and you, you fall asleep and all of a sudden you wake up and, oh, was oh, I sleeping? People smile at you. And sometimes whenever we're sleeping, we don't like to be woken up, especially if it's early in the morning, four o'clock perhaps. You wake up and you think, I'm not going to be able to get back to sleep. And we don't like to be awakened whenever we're sleeping. And whenever we're sleeping, we're not really all that conscious of the world around us. And whenever we're sleeping, we maybe don't even care all that much about the world around us. And whenever we're sleeping, we dream up some of the most ridiculous things, don't we? I was saying to some of the children in McGabry, speaking about Joseph's dreams, that Bible times God spoke by way of dreams, but some of the dreams that I have are absolutely crazy. And whenever people are sleeping spiritually, they don't know they're sleeping. They don't like to be wakened up. They're unconscious of the world around them. They're careless of the needs of others around them. They're maybe even careless about their own needs. And we can also dream up some really strange things whenever we're spiritually asleep. The Bible says, Awake thou that sleepest, 
rise from the dead and Christ shall give thee life. You know, a story came to mind just as I was uh, sitting there in the pew behind Dr. Douglas about a, a woman and her husband had an awful problem of sleeping in church and she was so embarrassed about it. One day she went quietly to the pastor and says, Pastor, you've probably noticed that my husband always sleeps every time you preach. And she says, I enjoy your ministry, but I can't, can't stop him from sleeping. He says, well, you can try this old remedy. He said, you know, get a piece of strong blue stilt and cheese and keep it in your handbag. And if he falls asleep at the start of the service, just quietly bring the piece of strong cheddar cheese out of your bag and quietly waft it under his nose and the strong smell will probably wake him up. She tried it. And lo and behold, he fell asleep and she wafted the cheese under his nose. He had no concept of his bearings. And as soon as he woke up, he says, Mary, would you get your feet off the pillow? They're stinking. <laughs> and you can, understand the, <laughs> you can understand what way the service went after that. The place of carelessness, he slept. The place of carelessness, he sank, it says there. He was sunk down with sleep probably didn't even know that he was starting to slip and starting to slide. Is that you tonight in the meeting? You don't know that you're sinking. You don't know that you're slipping. You don't know that you're sliding and getting away from the things of God. Are you sinking tonight spiritually? Are you sinking tonight morally? Are you sinking tonight emotionally? Are you sinking tonight circumstantially? Are you sinking motivationally? Are you sinking tonight in a negative sense, sinking into negativity and carelessness, despair perhaps. You remember the story of Pilgrim's Progress? It wasn't all that long after they fled the city of destruction that Pliable came along with them. And they found themselves in the slough of despond and they began to sink. Many Christians even can sink, find themselves dragged down by the spirit of the age. I was sinking deep in sin. Sinking to rise no more, overwhelmed by guilt within mercy, I did implore. The place of carelessness, he slept and he sank. It was also the place of hopelessness. Look where he ended up. He sunk down to sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. He fell down from the third loft. Now that's quite a drop. Most third story floors are about 20 feet up. I don't know if you've ever fallen out of bed or not. I remember shortly after arriving in Port Lincoln in 2002, 21 years ago, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, one night, I fell out of bed. And it wasn't just that I fell down the side of the bed, but whenever I, I came to, I was perpendicular, 90 degrees to the bed, with my feet closest to my bed, and my head furthest away, 90 degrees. It was like somebody had lifted me out of the bed and carried me about three feet from the bed and dropped me on the floor. I still can't work out how it happened. But it was quite a shock, just a couple of feet. But here's a man that fell 30 feet, perhaps from a third-story window. He was fallen. And we are living in a fallen world. And we are fallen people. We have been cursed by the fall of Adam. And we have fallen in Adam. And we have fallen from God. And not only are we fallen people, but we are falling people. And our world is a fallen world and a falling world. And it is falling and falling and falling still as a nation 
we are fallen and falling. Even our churches, perhaps, are fallen and falling. Place of hopelessness. He fell from a third loft. But the hopelessness is seen in the fact that he was taken up dead. All of a sudden, the meeting stopped. This young man's lying in the, in the ground outside of the meeting house. And there's absolutely no signs of vital life. And he was taken up dead. You know, whenever somebody displays no signs of vital life at the scene of an accident, first eater comes along, checks their pulse, no pulse. Maybe puts their ear to their chest, no sound of a heartbeat. Maybe holds their hand to the mouth, no breath. No signs of vital life, no consciousness, no movement, no pulse, and they are therefore presumed dead. I wonder tonight, could you be presumed dead in a spiritual sense? A spiritual physician was to come along and check your spiritual heart rate, check your spiritual pulse, check your spiritual breath, check your eyes for signs of life. Would you be presumed dead? Do you love God tonight? Do you love God's people? Do you love God's Word? Do you love the place of prayer? Do you love the souls of men? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you walking with God? Are you serving Christ? These are evidences and signs of spiritual life. What about the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, and meekness, and all of those great fruit of the Spirit. Are you showing tonight the signs of spiritual life, or could you be presumed dead? You hath he quickened, made alive. You were dead in trespasses and in sins. I can't remember the day that I was born, but I know tonight that I've got life. And you mightn't be able to pinpoint the exact moment in your life or the date in your Bible whenever you were born again. But are you displaying evidence of the new birth? Has your heart been changed? Has your life been changed? Has your nature been changed? Act 1, the place of privilege, the place of peril. Act 2, the place of carelessness, the place of hopelessness. Look at Act 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul went down, fell on him, embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread, and eaten, and talked a long while, even until break of day, he departed. I think Paul the Apostle shows the very heart and character of our Lord Jesus Christ, both in his preaching and in his passion for the souls of men. There is no love like the love of Jesus. The Apostle Paul goes down, finds Eutychus there in verse number 10, and here we have the place of rescue, the place of recovery. Paul's meekness, he went down. Paul went down. In verse number 9, Eutychus was elevated. But in verse number 10, the Apostle Paul descended. He didn't take it ill that this young man had fallen asleep and wasn't listening and was looking out the window with his eye to the world. Paul didn't say, well, it serves him right. I saw it happening. He's getting what he deserves. No, the apostle Paul showed meekness, and Paul went down. Now, I know rightly tonight there are people in the meeting, and you're not born again. I don't take it ill that you've maybe no interest in what I'm saying. 
But if you recognized your need, I would be absolutely delighted to point you to the cross. Paul's meekness. What about Paul's mercy? It says he fell on him, embracing him. Now that was often something that Old Testament prophets did. Elisha fell upon that young man that died in his youth out in the fields and fell upon him nose to nose and hand to hand and foot to foot. He was identifying himself fully with that young man in his death, just as the Lord Jesus Christ identifies with us in his death upon the cross and raises us up to newness of life in every aspect of our being, our minds, our hands and our feet. Paul fell on the young man, like perhaps like the prodigal's father, who whenever his son was returning, ran and had compassion and fell upon him and kissed his neck. Paul was merciful. Whenever the jailer at Philippi was going to fall upon his own sword, do you remember the first thing Paul said? As he saw through the moonlight what was happening, this wicked, cruel man who had handled them roughly and thrust them into the inner cell in the prison and put their hands and feet fast in stocks and now he's going to take his life. Paul didn't say, well, go ahead and do it anyway. No, Paul said, sir, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. There is mercy. And maybe you've hurt and wounded the heart of Jesus Christ by your sin and your carelessness, your spiritual slumber and sleep. I want to tell you tonight that he's meek and he's merciful. But there's also here a miracle. Paul says his life is in him. New life coursed through that young man's veins. Paul, as our great apostle, had the ability to perform these great signs and wonders. And the young man experienced meekness, mercy, and he also experienced a miracle. Now, some of the Christian parents tonight in the meeting, or Christian grandparents, are concerned about your children or your grandchildren. And maybe they have come to church for years and they have shown no interest. And maybe tonight they're outside of the church and they're no longer under the sound of God's Word. And they're out there in the world and they're spiritually dead and you're, you're losing hope that they'll ever be converted. Friends, God is the God of miracles. And let's not only pray, but let's trust God for a better day for the church of Jesus Christ. Let's trust God to intervene in our homes and intervene in our families. I think tonight many Christian people have given up hope that there will ever be blessing or even salvation in our churches again. I know it's a long time since we have seen a move of the Spirit. I know it's a long time since we've seen people genuinely converted and changed and going on with God. But I'm trusting God to move by His Spirit in these days. I don't know what the future holds. But I know that God says in His Word... That without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And as we seek God's face, remind ourselves that God rewards and honors the faith and the prayers of his people. And let's trust God for a miracle in our homes and families and in the lives of our children and grandchildren. It was the place of recovery in verse 10. It was the place of renewal in verse 11. The Bible says, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creature. And this young man, Eutychus, was brought into a new place. God is the God of new beginnings. Woodrow Crawl is a 
radio preacher, I'm sure he's well into his 80s now, he says, the God who made us can also remake us. The God who made us can also remake us. Notice that this place of renewal was a place of favor. It says in verse 11, when he therefore was come up again. Isn't that beautiful? When he was therefore come up again, he was lifted and he was brought up again. He had fallen, but he was shown divine favor and was brought to a place of newness. He was brought up again. Grace is able to restore those who have fallen. Even people who once walked with God, if you've fallen and you're not where you were with God a while ago, the grace of God can bring you up again, the place of favor. It was also the place of fullness, because it also says in verse 11, when he had broken bread and eaten, they broke bread and they ate. And here's a young man, and he's just been restored, and they're breaking bread now. And I believe this is the breaking of bread, the Lord's table, observing the death of Jesus Christ and anticipating his coming again. The Lord says this, do in remembrance of me. And then they ate. And this young man is now filled and satisfied. And God is taking away that hunger. Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. He that believeth in me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. It was also in closing the place of fellowship, and they talked a long while, even to the breaking of the day. Is there somebody in the meeting tonight, and you need to talk to the Lord? Or you maybe need to talk to a, a brother or sister, or talk to a, a pastor or an elder, or somebody that loves the Lord, and you need to talk about the things of God, and just get the burden off your heart, and tell someone where you really are. Do thyself no harm, for we are, are all here. As you think about the story of Eutychus in three acts, Acts 1, Act 2, and Act 3, the place of privilege, the place of peril, the place of carelessness, the place of helplessness and hopelessness, or Act 3, the place of recovery, the place of renewal. I wonder where you find yourself tonight. If your story was being told, where are you? Place of privilege? Yes, perhaps but maybe as well the place of peril. Maybe the place of carelessness. Maybe, humanly speaking now, the place of hopelessness. But there's also a place of recovery. And there's also a place of renewal. I wonder tonight, are you here in the meeting and you're seeking? Or are you in the meeting and you're sleeping? Are you here tonight in the meeting and you're sinking? Or are you in the meeting and you're suffering? Or are you in the meeting and you're saved? May God bless his word to your hearts tonight. I apologize. I'm just looking at my watch here. We've gone over time. I apologize for that if it's right to do so. But may God bless his word to your hearts tonight. May the Lord encourage you and bring you even to himself.